Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Freecast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. Uh, this is our bonus, gigantic, huge episode because the DC Comics released on the 18th of December are... Uh, more numerable than the stars in the sky. <laughs> there are a lot of fucking comics that came out this week, and we're going to talk about a bunch of them, but we're going to spend a lot of time tonight talking about our first book, and that is Doomsday Clock number 12. It actually came out, I sort of can't believe it, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank. Boys, let's... Let's first take the long view of this, not talk about this issue in general. Now that we have read this issue, what are, what are our thoughts on Doomsday Clock? Uh, Zach, why don't you why don't you start? <laughs> I don't even know where to start with this book as a whole. Um it was a huge mess, and it probably didn't need to happen the way that it happened. But I'm glad that it happened. Yeah, I think even after reading the conclusion, it's kind of like um, second verse, same as the first with me, as far as like none of none of the Watchmen stuff I found to be very good, and nothing nothing by the end of the series convinced me that most of that was worthwhile you know i would say i would say for the story to work you need some of the dr manhattan stuff but all of that all of that other stuff was just i understand the points that that johns was trying to make across this whole thing with with some of that stuff namely like the rorschach stuff uh the mime and marionette stuff i get what he's trying to say and what he's trying to do I just do, I think that's easily the worst part of this whole thing. It kind of sours the the project as a whole. I think if you somehow mentally maneuver that stuff to the background, which I've found fairly easy to do, uh, then I find myself thinking very fondly of Doomsday Clock, which is just because by the end, if we're taking the long view of this, the best parts of this entire thing, including the very last issue, where John's doing what John's does best, which is taking these legendary DC characters and um, messing with the metafiction a little, make returning so much of what he did or what he was famous for doing in his earlier years in DC were returning forgotten or lesser characters to their essential natures and thereby making them more popular or just writing a good solid definitive version of a character uh maybe if they were already a fan favorite you know just just a solid distillation of what dc comics is for the most part that's what this is and i ended up finding more good than bad in it and i and it's really easy for me to compartmentalize that stuff into something that I think fondly about. Does that make sense? One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my my sort of long view takes. So I against the advice of my counsel or Zach and Vince. Um, I had read all twelve issues in kind of like two sittings this weekend, um, 
and I'm glad I did because there are whole swaths of this comic I did not remember. Uh, <laughs> partially because it's taken two plus years for it to come out. Um, but also just because it was it was really two totally different comics. The first six issues are really about the stuff that Vince talked about not caring about. It's about Mime and Marionette, and it's about um, Rorschach 2 and all of that. And that stuff all sucks. It's really not good. And then the back half of the book is all about the DC universe and how those characters, like what makes them important. And, you know, I love the fact, I, I love the machinations that led to everything coming back. And I love that Mom Pa Kent are back and the Legion's back and JSA is back. And I like how all that was connected. All of that. Italian chef kiss emoji good for you Jeff Johns we'll talk about the multiversal stuff in a little bit all that's fine I just don't know why this I mean I know why the comic was 12 issues because Watchmen was 12 issues but I feel like there's really not 12 issues worth of story here if I'm being generous there's even barely 6 issues worth of story here it's a really really decompressed comic and it's just it's uh, it's overstuffed and some of the ideas in there I think are interesting but will never be picked up by anyone ever again. And I don't know how much... Like, you know, and now we're getting into really metatextual bullshit. But, like, there's the whole conversation about the uh, like the Superman theory. And we're never mm. going to see that picked up ever, ever again. <laughs> that is That is something that was introduced within these pages that had, like, Metamorpho was a big part of it and Killer Frost... We're never going to see that stuff ever mentioned again. The next time Metamorpho is in the Terrifics, it, it, he will not be like, by the way, the Superman project, none of it. It's, it's done. It's over. And so part of me is bummed out that the book, because of its delays and because of John's supposed like power struggles at DC, it's kind of a bummer that the book will never get a chance to be what it was supposed to be. But it's But, but what it is... I'm more or less okay with. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I had a lot of mixed emotions reading this issue. Um, you know, like, full full disclosure, this came just like a few days after the HBO Watchmen finale, uh, yes. which you can go here, Brian and I talk about, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, it's still like somehow the like best thing that I could have ever expected out of a, a Watchmen sequel project and from the Watchmen side of things like blows Doomsday Clock out of the water um, but wow. while reading this last issue I really did like it like took me back <laughs> you know like this is like this is like Oh man, it's like it's like in a movie or something where like all of these terrible things happen and then you get to the end and you find out it was all a dream and you just go back to the beginning again and that this felt like this just washed away like everything that's happened since Flashpoint and it's like, "Oh, it's okay. It's good again. <laughs> it's actually better than it's ever been." Um and and like I think I think that 
this issue still shows that to some degree, like John still has it. Like he's still as good as he, he's as good once as he ever was. Um, and uh, I don't, I, my mind just was like going all over, uh, you know, in terms of the, the meta text of it and the, and the internal DC politics and how much I want this Jeff John still to be at the forefront of things and, and, how he's probably not gonna be but just how much this is like a love letter to my golden age of dc comics yeah it really did feel like something out of that out of that era by the end it it felt like it felt like john's um dropping all these hints for the next you know three years of dc comics like or more even or or more more even literally literally you know like yeah oh yeah it's so funny yeah it does it has those like it's setting up like the new global guardians and like stuff with conduct and stuff with um um I don't know, just all the different hero teams, which, like, I do want to say before I forget, of all the event series that could have used an ungodly number of tie-ins, I am so sad that we didn't get, like, ten tie-in series with all the different, like, nations, teams. I'm not really sad about that, but if this had been a project that came out, you know, five or six years ago, maybe where it was kind of the the centerpiece of the DCU for a while, we definitely would have had all of those those tie-in series. And I actually, like, am kind of sad that all of that stuff will go unexplored. Um, it's funny you mentioned that, Zach. For a multiversity project right now, a bunch of us are rereading number one issues from the New 52. And I forgot that there's an entire superhero team introduced in Batwing number one that was like this African superhero team that got destroyed. And that very much reminded me of the teams from this. Yeah. And, uh, I'm with you. I wish you got more tie-ins for that sort of stuff. That stuff's fun. We could have gotten new new Canterbury cricket material, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> so before we get to sort of the, uh, the gabagool at the end, is there anything about the first 40 pages you guys want to talk about? Um, the first 35 pages, I guess. I mean... I mean, I think I think, I think some stuff happens in the middle there. That's yeah. where... That's where, like... That's where the history... Like, page 24, I think it was, is when history starts getting put back together right or i guess it was page 22 when krypton re-explodes and so that you know there you get i really liked that sequence where where pa Pa kent is is almost being the um kevin costner version of the character where he's like i don't know if you should reveal yourself the world's gonna be afraid of you you know and then uh it goes to him moving the lantern back and uh to Dr. Manhattan moving the lantern back and then the JSA forms. So now they inspire Clark and Pa Kent and then Superboy exists because of that. And then Superboy ends up saving the Kents from having the new 52 car crash. It's, 
that stuff was so well done, I thought. Um, and like, in hindsight, very predictable, but no less, no less affecting, right? Like, yes. Oh God, we're, 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 we are actually doing this. We're setting things right. You know, and when we see the JSA, it's not just the JSA that has shown up in, in Snyder's justice league. Now you're taught, you, you get like Jakeem thunder, you know, mm-hmm. you get, some of the other, some of the other more modern JSA characters that we've seen in the more recent, if yeah, I'm yeah, like in, in, in the in like the Johns, in the Johns, league. yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, if I'm not mistaken, we get the not uh, the not Elvis, what's his name, damage, but the the, the old damage in there as well. Oh, yeah. the, the Grant, oh wait, uh, oh yeah, yeah, he's definitely in there. He's like behind like a new version of Doctor Midnight, who I like a younger. Female Doctor Midnight. Yeah, female Doctor Midnight. We get um, Jesse Quick. We get Liberty Bell. the the other the other Wildcat. I forget mm-hmm. her name. It's like Yolanda something. Yes, I think yes. right. Um, we get uh, um, the Girl. younger Sandman. Yeah, we get Power Girl, Jade, and Obsidian. Obsidian. Yeah. Um, I I forget the girl who has like the green witch costume, who's kind of like the descendant of the old Red Tornado. Um. Mm-hmm. She was like a big John's character, but yeah, like that whole league. Oh, and like Star Girl and mm-hmm. Stripes. Um, yeah, man, that splash page is just so good. <laughs> oh man, I oh man, I want <laughs> I want John's to write the JSA again. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, we might be getting our wish. Uh, you know, we'll see. I, I do want to point out that it looks like this Legion is the Bendis Legion. Yeah, it definitely is. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is which is interesting because, well, you can take it two ways. Because at one point, Imra says, "You remember us now, don't you, Cal?" And he turns and says, "Imra, you know." And like, okay, well, we just saw them meet like two months ago <laughs> right, in the actual yeah. cop. But if you think about it. That that this could just mean that like now all the memories are rushing back to you know they may have met a couple months ago, but now all the real yeah memories, you know what I mean yeah now he remembers like the time as Superboy and and all of that yeah right yeah I I think it works I I think it works and it's extremely satisfying yeah um, better late than never <laughs> yeah oh yeah. god oh it's good it gets you right in the like fanboy button and usually usually i'm not i try not to be that person you know but like i couldn't help it reading this this is like being in a candy store no it is and i mean like this is maybe the best superman story that john's has ever written Mm. it's up there for sure um this just feels the end I won't say it's the best Superman story that's ever written because of there's a lot of mess here, but like the most, it's the most Superman. It's the most Superman story though. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it it is literally a love letter to Superman as, as a character and not, not just in like the meta textual in universe way, but like John's essentially 
created something called the metaverse so that he could kiss Superman's big blue behind, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's actually a tribute to him as a character in story in those exact terms. I mean, he, he essentially made Superman the focal point of the entire universe. The world. The world. Yeah. (laughs) Our world. Yeah. 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 Exactly as it should be. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's big. It's wild. Um, I don't, I still like, I will never not be able to not just like go back to that initial interview that he did about this book and how much of that interview just does not (laughs) ring true (laughs) with what this series was. But (laughs) I feel like that aspect of it is, is there. Yeah. And dare I say, if Alan Moore read this, he would actually like it. No, that's, I'm kidding. That's. That's like that's like the Watchmen TV show. <laughs> Have you seen those people that are like, if Alan Moore watched this, he would like it. No, but I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, they're out. That take exists. Um, so then page 31, I think. I have it written as 31 here. That is where you see, like, I love this section, too, where it was like... Uh, with With the Flash came the birth of the Speed Force, which rattled the multiverse... Or which rattled the metaverse, creating the multiverse. Earth two is born. Then Crisis on Infinite Earths happened. By the way, thirty-four. Is it thirty-four? Yeah. Okay. Um. So, uh, you know that then Earth one becomes Earth nineteen eighty-five with the crisis, which that is so so much like well, that. Can, you can and we... I, you and I had to hash this out over chat because. Yeah, can, can, can we hash it out again here just for a minute? Yeah. So Vince and I were talking about this, and it seems like Earth Prime is always whatever comic we're reading right now. Mm-hmm. Like, the current DC comic is in Earth Prime. And once we move away from that, then this alternate Earth is created. So Earth 2 becomes Earth 2 in the Silver Age, right? And then... After Crisis on Infinite Earths, it see here's here's where it gets confusing because it says here that Earth One becomes Earth nineteen eighty five, but does that mean that happens like at the zero hour time? Did that happen at some other point? Because it's hard to tell if this is pre crisis stuff or if this is just post crisis stuff. I think this is pre crisis actually. I was looking at Supergirl's costume there. And looking at uh, the John Stewart costume, it's hard to tell if this is pre-crisis or post-crisis. But regardless, our sort of theory is that once an era ends, it gets its own Earth. Then, uh, mm-hmm. Zach, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think I kind of get the impression that this is so Earth One. There was Earth One, and there was Earth Two, mm-hmm. and Earth One pre-crisis becomes Earth nineteen eighty-five. Right. That's how I read that, and yeah. so because so, Earth One, Earth One is not Earth One. Like, like right now, the comics that we're reading is that's not Earth One. That's Earth Prime. Prime Earth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Prime Earth. Yeah, yeah. Although Earth Fifty Two is out there. Yeah. Well, that is that's the one that proves that our theory about nineteen eighty five is right because yeah, when the New Fifty Two was going on, that was the Prime Earth. 
Mm-hmm. But when he and he says it with with this new rebirth, Earth fifty two is out there somewhere, <laughs> meaning that 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 happened essentially when the DC rebirth happened, and so right. and, and so by that logic, if you go and think back to Crisis, Earth nineteen eighty five doesn't doesn't exist until the Prime Earth moves on to something else leaving behind Earth 1985, which that's also the only way it makes sense that they say that that world is unexplored even today. Because if it were explored, if we're talking if we're talking about Earth 1985 being literally the time after crisis, then it has been explored. We've all we've read it. Right. <laughs> you know, it exists. It's DC Legends or whatever, you know. Um, so the only way to make sense of that phrase is that it do- that it doesn't exist until Earth Prime moves on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, it's good, and and you know, in this way, which we've already kind of sort of been co- going in that direction with Snyder's Justice League, but essentially, like we are back to Infinite Earths again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um I I think that we probably still also have like the Morrisonian Ori of World structure as well. I think we're going to get be able to have our cake and eat it too. Um, yeah. It almost I can almost imagine it like okay. Remember how in Snyder's Justice League they had the map and then they simply flipped it over and it was the it was the dark side of the map which was yes. the dark multiverse on the other side, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I can almost imagine like that still being the structure, but then you turn the map, you like look at the map laterally, and then you can see the different Earths rise. Like, oh, now 1980, 1985 Earth is above Earth Prime at this point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Almost mm-hmm. like there's a there's a timeline on top of a flat map somehow. Yeah. Oh, which is like beautiful because that's like the whole like crisis line of worlds. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you like mm-hmm. think about it like that, mm-hmm. which is just like, mm, chef kiss. Wow. Oh. <laughs> just layers. Yep. Uh, and then when, and then when they introduce the official DC timeline or whatever, all of a sudden a lot of this stuff maybe makes more sense because theoretically some of the stuff we saw in the timeline could have, could have could have been indicating an Earth that uh, like sprung off at one point in time while the rest moved on. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but like, it's going to explain how we get 5G, right? Which is a that is something that like 5G got a mention in this comic, and I would have never guessed. So let's, that let's, so let's let's talk about that, okay? So yeah, let's yeah. The next page it talks about uh, in the year 2020, Superman's timeline is bombarded by the reckless energies of the old gods once again warping the multiverse. It's July 2nd, 2025. A crisis unlike the metaverse has ever seen. When they will call Time Masters erupts, but in its wake, Superman is revitalized. And then it says, uh, and his greatest allies return. Anyway, it keeps going, and then it says it's January 2026, and Timon is restored, and Earth 5G is born. So it seems like, according to Johns, which, again, he's not really in charge anymore, but that 5G is going to be like a five-year thing. And at the end of that, we'll get another rebirth, of some, a reboot of some kind. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I want to talk about this image that precedes that. We see a couple of characters that I think will be the 5G versions of these characters. Yes. So if you look in the upper right-hand corner, you see an African-American Batman, which we've been told is Luke Fox, perhaps. Um, and then if you look in the lower right-hand corner, we see an African-American Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Who I have been saying that I think that the Wonder Woman will be the the character from G. Willow Wilson's Wonder Woman run. Right. Yeah. Um, which I can never remember her name because... Because, because I just, we're all terrible. Maggie, yeah. Maggie, it's Maggie. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there any other new characters on the page? There's like a weird turtle character down by the flashes. Yes, and then who is who is right next to uh who's up by the legion there? Who with the S on there? The blue character with the that, S. That's, that's a, a Shadow Lass. Yes, yeah. okay, okay. Um Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I'm 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 totally and then I'm totally down for this. This is like this is so exciting to me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good. And oh man, you know I, I just have to wonder where John's place in all of this is because I know he is kind of seemingly been on the outs, but like this is the first time five G has been mentioned in a comic. Yeah, yes. but you know, you know, <laughs> the thing about it is, if Dan DiDio went up to Jeff Johns and said, "Hey, hey, uh, we're doing a five G initiative." We need you to put a page in there that mentions it. Blah blah blah. This is what we're doing. You know he would. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just I want Johns to be back, and I want him to be good again. Yeah. I, I want Killing know. Zone. Now, didn't this didn't this section remind you guys of the last issue of his Green Lantern run? Yes. yes. Where he talks yes. about what happens to all the different lanterns in the future. Yes. Um. But see, and see, I always felt like that's what John's like. If John's was on those books indefinitely, those are the stories that he would have told. And this, to me, reads like the end of him at DC proper, talking about all the books that he would want to do. So you know, it's June twenty twenty six. Superman goes on a quest to find Bruce Wayne's lost daughter so she can save Bruce's son. The secret crisis begins, throwing Superman into a brawl across the universe with Thor himself and a green behemoth stronger than even Doomsday, who dies protecting Superman from these invaders. You know, Wonderful. Uh, these just seem like stories that he would tell, you know. Uh, and then we get like his four different versions that he would do of Superman's origin if he had to redo it. Like, you know, first we get a sort of very standard uh, Jonathan and Martha Kent. Then we get they have a uh, a baby Colin when they find him, and the next one they have a daughter Clara. You know, we just we get sort of like these different versions of of how I guess Johns would play in this universe if he were to keep playing there. But I got the I got the very distinct impression that this was the end of his of his sort of like time at the top of DC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it no? feels yeah, it feels like the the swan song. If you, like this feels like in so many ways the end of so uh, it, it's so fitting. I think that this is coming at the very end of the decade that 
you know, for all intents, the the decade really kicked off with Flashpoint as like the inciting event, and this is he he is closing the the circle on on this story that he started then um, in a way that is it's so weirdly satisfying in like a way it makes like the whole new 52 endeavor warts and all very worth it. I think. Do either of you feel that? Oh, that's, that is a loaded. Here's my thing. For as much as the new 52 is maligned and is thought of as some like other era to me it's very easy as somebody who's read comics from like every era of superhero comics to just compartmentalize that as another era like any other and so i I feel like an event like this comes around every five to ten years and this one is particularly special because it's john's doing john's things but like we've done this before and we'll do it again, you know? Right. Right. But I mean, I guess like what I'm saying is like the new 52 really stripped him of a lot of his toys and a Mm -hmm. lot of his, you know, tools. Sure. Um, and this is very much him like reclaiming that. And then also just thinking about like the new 52 into rebirth, into whatever we're doing and kind of like how the meta narrative of Superman has been at the heart of that the whole time. Like Superman, I think was the character who was brought the lowest by the new 52 Mm -hmm. and the, the whole arc that ends here has been about him kind of reclaiming his greatness, I guess. Sure. Um, I was actually just flipping through the uh, uh, what I can't remember the name of the arc, but the the story that Pete Tomasi did that closed out the rebirth or the New Fifty Two era, and oh, just like um, thinking about how wild that was. Yeah, was that the the death of Superman? No, um, uh, that's what I was thinking. Like I was thinking, oh yeah, death of Superman, but it's, it's something it's like that. that. Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. But yeah, it's where the new 52 Superman died and the the pre-Flashpoint version replaced him. And then just thinking about like, you know, a Superman reborn and 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 all the the like threads that that Johns has like kind of had a backdoor hand in, I think, you know, because he he did that arc that set up Mr. Oz and all of that stuff and. It's just it's just weird. It feels very much like the end of an era to me. It it feels like the end of a long running TV series or something. Um mm-hmm. where everybody's just seen some shit and <laughs> now it's now it's good. Yeah. It does um Obviously I'm excited for 5G or whatever comes next. I always am. I'm I'm always optimistic about it. But it does make me feel nervous because because the unknown element is there. Because if if we do really think, and I do, that J- Johns isn't going to be like the overarching guiding hand anymore. He says he's got some more comic projects coming after um, the Three Jokers, and I I believe him. I 
can't, can't hear jokers. three jokers without laughing, huh? Um, I believe him, but I don't think they're going to be anything that's going to be driving any sort of meta narrative at DC anymore. You know? Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, not, yeah, I'm, I think I, so too. Yeah. I'm not trying to malign him by saying this, but like I could very much imagine him in a Frank Miller esque role where he does a series or two a year that are more or less unconnected from everything else that's going on that just allows him to play around with the toys that he wants to and, and tell a story rather than link a bunch of stuff together. Like he has been doing for decades. Right. Does Which, that make sense? Yeah. When you think about it, it's also kind of like where Morrison is right now. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. 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 More. Yeah. I could see that. Like Morrison, Morrison is fairly unconnected, but he's clearly also willing to play a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I think I think he's paid lip service to one or two of the DC events that have been going on during this time. Um and I think Johns would be willing to do that too, but he's he's not going to be driving things anymore. And so I do have this like anxiety about you know what what's going to what's going to be driving the thematic narrative now that all this stuff is back or is that all going to get dropped now for just the concerns that we've been seeing in the other comics you know are we really going to see the full Johnsian JSA or or are we just going to stick to focusing on the ones that Snyder has been focusing on you well, know well wasn't there that rumor that we would get to Two, JSA yeah things that was a rumor uh, that was a rumor that was told to me uh in confidence by uh by a very high profile um, creator at a DC, at a comic book convention about a year ago yeah now i don't yeah, know if those plans okay. are still the same but there the sure, idea was that there was sure. going to be a jsa book set in the 40s and a jsa book set in current time yeah yeah which you know, it does seem like, despite, you know, kind of, we, we are returned to a status quo that is very similar to pre-Flashpoint, where you have the newer heroes plus the old guard of Alan Scott, Jake Garrick, Ted Grant. Um, so, that... They're, they're still clearly going to be that connection there. They're not just relegating the the uh, original team to the 40s. You know, they'll still come up with some contrivance on why Alan Scott is 80 years old and 90 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe even 100 <laughs> at this point. He, he fought in World War II, so... Yeah, yeah, he is. he's pushing 100. Um, so, yeah... How uh, how wild this isn't going to happen, but how wild would it be if they stuck to this timeline exactly? And so like on on Wednesday, July 2nd, 2025, we get the Time Masters Crisis uh, finale or whatever. <laughs> well, we'll talk about something that happens in another book. Uh, yeah, we will. Yes. Um. <laughs> I think that's a weird that that is a weird name for because he's they say something like the the greatest or the the 
strangest crisis we've ever seen or something or a crisis we've seen unlike any other known as time masters like that's that's yeah the, it's that, weird that's really weird so are we supposed to call it the time masters crisis or well, is it the convergence crisis vince yeah yeah it's just weird to call it time masters i don't know um but yes we will talk about that and then and then what if there is like a marvel versus dc2 in 2030 the companies get their act together and and everyone everyone comes in with everything for a big party it would be wild. It would even be wilder, I think, if they just use their like multiverse knockoff characters to do it. Oh, and... that'd be, yeah, that'd be disappointing though. Well, it would be, but I also think it would be really funny to have like Superman fighting Thor it, because they could specifically use Thor because he's a public domain character, yeah. and Marvel would just be fuming. <laughs> <laughs> what if they use the characters from the opening credits of Mallrats? So it was the Incredible Bulk and it's Ethan <laughs> Suplee instead of uh, the Incredible Hulk. That's what they'll that's what they'll do and Kevin Smith will write it. Yeah. Uh, you dumb bastard. <laughs> you dumb dumb a bastard. A scooter a schooner is a sailboat. Dummy head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I love this shit, right? This is this is the best. Um, when they when we get to talk about sort of the big multiversal things. I, I do want to just temper the conversation a little bit here and just say that I think that while we love this stuff, this is this is still a pretty flawed comic. Oh yeah. Oh, big time, big time. But I would honestly say not as flawed as some other stuff that Johns has done before. I think that this is ultimately better than Flashpoint. I mean, that's a pretty low bar there, but it's a low bar. It's a, but I but I'm but I mean I'm saying he. I kind of feel like we might definitely myself have kind of like maligned Johns as being on like a downward trajectory for a long time now, and this this book really just like the back half of it, I guess. But like in general, this book shows that he he still has it to a degree Mm -hmm. he didn't he 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 may have peaked but he he is not on the permanent downward trajectory of you know like say a frank miller i wonder if he really needs a break from comics and i don't mean one of these things like where he's he's writing an issue of doomsday clock and shazam every nine weeks i mean like he goes away for five years and then comes back Yeah, I don't know. Has that ever worked for for anyone? I feel like I feel like time passes you by, you know. Um, I don't know. I I I feel like Johns needs to get the needs to get this TV and movies thing out of his system. Well, I think that's. I mean, like I was <laughs> in like just you know after reading this issue, I was looking at like Johns bibliography and stuff and. Uh, was reminded that he has his production company, the the something, the like ghost, something mad ghost or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like looking around on that website and just like seeing all of the like things that he's been attached to and is working on. And like he's been he's been doing the TV and movie thing for a while now, and it's not really he's not really like broken out there. 
Are you saying that episode of Smallville he wrote with the JSA didn't make well? Him that's like a multi-million. Yeah, he, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you think like he's been attached to all of these like DC film properties and is still like he. I think you know he's like heavily involved in Wonder Woman. He he like wrote the. He he was involved in the writing process of Aquaman. He um. You know he is attached to the Green Lantern projects that are out there right now. I think definitely the movie. I don't know about the TV show. Um, and then he's like you know very involved with this Star Girl show that's coming out. He's involved with Titans. Um, but like none of these things are setting the world on fire. And it's still all superheroes. He's not doing anything non-superhero related. Yeah, I don't know. That is true. Um, Yeah, I'm very interested to see what the next, like, year sees coming for John's. So I think the yeah. next is really interesting. It's gonna be a very interesting look at at what he's both allowed to do and wants to do at DC. Fourth yeah. Joker. Fourth Joker. I'm calling it now. C- cigar falls from mouth. <laughs> I I really want him to be able to do his killing zone line and just kind of play around. I want I want him to really sit down and focus on like having like a little imprint that's just weird and like going back to kind of like where he got his start at DC. I feel like that would be good. Maybe that, but maybe that's not what he wants. I don't really know what he wants because I, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I feel like he's kind of become like a recluse. Like he is very mysterious to me now, which is weird because he was once like the Snyder, or the Bendis of this universe where he, Mm -hmm. he was the forward face and now he's kind of like so obtuse and, and and he's, he's gotta be so busy too. Yeah, I get, I mean, I guess so. I but like, even then it's like, I don't know what he's doing. Supergirl. He just rapped on Supergirl apparently. But what is he doing? Or not Stargirl. Yeah. Stargirl. Yeah. Yeah. But like what, like what does he do? I, I just like I don't I don't know where what his involvement is with anything other than he is attached to a lot of things. Well, here, here's what I'll say too. You know, if you believe the scuttlebutt that he and Dio do not get along, and mm-hmm. that there is a constant power struggle happening, I think it's pretty clear that Dio is the one who has won the power struggle for now. And so I don't know if it's that Johns doesn't want to be out there doing stuff, or if Johns is not asked to be out there and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, here's a small example that takes the listeners in behind the curtain a little bit here. So I get an email every Friday from DC talking about the books that are coming out next week when we get our review copies in. Oh, I know what you're going to say. And every week they spotlight three or four titles. And they'll say, you know, look, this week we have blah, blah, blah. Let me actually find the email from this past week. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. So, um, 
in this in this email we get uh the first highlighted title is Superman Smashes the Clan. The second is the Lola Woods. The third is Wonder Woman Dead Earth. And the fourth is Suicide Squad. Listed four listed third, and then it says Batman, Batman Last on Earth, and Doomsday Clock all have their final issues of their runs next week. Like that's the only mention Doomsday Clock gets here. I think that's the, wild. I think that DC is is more or less like uh just kind of burying this because they don't want Johns to be the guy right now. But but did Metal Man get mentioned? That's the real question. <laughs> I mean, eventually they all get mentioned. Uh okay. but, but you know, not not that high up. I guess Denio doesn't not... want it to be too obvious. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you not lead with Doomsday Clock though? Even if like like that is insane to me. I, I understand why they're doing it. Clearly, they they want they want it to not have as much cachet as it had at the start of this thing, right? right? I get it, but it's still crazy to me that the last issue of this monumental two-year project that was unheard of to to fold Watchmen into all of this mess barely gets a mention in their promo email to us. I, I'll, I'll even throw out there that it's crazy that. Batman 85 doesn't get a higher billing. <laughs> yeah, that's but think, fine. But I think that also <laughs> indicates that that Tom King is kind of a bit on the outs there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, and like even, I mean, Last Night on Earth too, kind of. Like, that had pretty low billing too, right? Yeah, I would think with that one, it, it is kind of crazy. I you know, and, and to, to be fair, like the point of these emails is to alert you to things you may not be aware of if you're not reading these emails. Mm-hmm. And so no one needs to be told to read Batman, right? It's just not a thing. Right. Uh, but still, it's just, I find it very, very interesting. No, it is. It is interesting. I, I think DC's in a really weird place right now just with how many... It's kind of like the Architects era of Marvel, except then it really was like it seemed like a collaborative effort where they would kind of just like one person would be in charge of the big event that year or like you. I think usually there were like two big events and like they would just kind of rotate around, whereas like right now you have like competing visions for what is important in D.C. and things connect because they have to it's like that that john's quote or not john's that snyder quote that you pointed out brian i think where he essentially was just kind of like look it's our job to make this stuff fit together yeah (laughs) and and i i wonder if now that doomsday clock is over if they can start that process more maybe maybe they can yeah i got i mean I've really enjoyed Snyder's Justice League, and I know we've still got one more issue of Justice Do More, but like, I think this is still to me more. If even with how like bad, like it has way more lows, but also I think like way bigger highs, and that like includes like this week's Justice League issue too. Um, it's just like, it's a completely different scale and scope. Um, and I, I like really don't want DC to lose that. 
Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Um, but do you guys see the breaking news about the free comic book day books? No, no. Uh, DC's is of course like top secret, sure, redacted, yeah. redacted. You know, a special top secret project too big to announce. They do that every time. I don't. I don't understand. They they do that every time, but then sometimes it just ends up being like a reprint of Wonder Woman number one. <laughs> right, know? right. Yeah. When is the last time that DC did like a like original material? I think it was the that Trinity War issue. Have they not done one since then? They didn't. Did they? Yeah, I think that they, might they be did. It. They did. You remember they did before DCU? They did those. Oh, the divergence. Uh, the divergence stuff. Yeah. Was that yes. was that free comic book day though, or was that just backups in? No, I'm pretty positive it was free comic book day because the the free comic book day one had, um, a Justice League, a Batman, and a one other, I think I think a Superman story in it mm. that I think weren't collected in other ones. Yep, you're right. I want to say. Um, Divergence features three eight-page previews for Scott Snyder and Capullo's Batman, as well as Johns and Faybach's Dark Side War, and uh, Gene Liu and Yang and John Romita Jr. on Superman. That's right. I remember that. But I think that was the last time. I don't think they've uh, done... Yep. I think since then, it's always been like movie tie-in stuff. And since then, they've started doing those... like conveniently released the week of free comic book day 25 cent issues oh that is also right you're right yeah 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 all right well let's take a break and when we come <laughs> back we have six more fucking books to talk about so we'll look at those real fast uh stay tuned hello we're the hosts of the multiversity manga club podcast i'm emily i'm zach and i'm walter each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back to talk about Batman number 85, the thrilling conclusion to uh, Tom King's Batman run. Uh, Beloved run. Uh, let's say celebrated and epic and other buzzwords run. Um, this is written by Tom King, obviously, illustrated by Michael Janine, and uh, Vince, you said to me that you really enjoyed where this leaves everything. Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with that. Um, <laughs> as I texted to you guys, uh, this is essentially the comic book version of Paradise by the Dashboard Light, where <laughs> instead of it, it being a thinly veiled sex metaphor, it's just there's a football announcer making a thinly veiled like reference to somebody making a comeback and about Bruce making a comeback. And okay, but this whole thing was a thinly veiled sex metaphor. Of course it is. Per I mean, 85 issues. Yes, of course it is. Um, but, you know, 
here here is my problem with this comic, and then I want to just talk about defense because I I I don't have too many big problems with it. I think that this is bad for the same reason that most Tom King comics are bad, and when it works, it works for the reasons that most Tom that when Tom King comics work, they work for these reasons. You know what I mean? There's nothing like there's nothing shocking in here. I think the good Tom King and the bad Tom King are more or less laying together in bed for Ew. this issue. Yeah, well, grow up. Um, I don't want to see. I don't want to see Tom King do himself. That's hot. Yeah. Kidding. Um, but what I was going to say is, I, I still feel like at the end of the run here, although that they've done a lot of work since his death to try and make it matter, I still don't feel like the Alfred death was earned here. And that's my only big complaint with where King is leaving this is that King made a fundamental change to the Batman character and i'm not even saying that there's not a way that alfred's death couldn't work i happen to love the alfred character the alfred character is very important to batman but i think that the alfred death that was not really earned here and because of that a lot of this comic still feels off to me even though this is the most emotionally satisfying issue of the comic thus far I think that that is a big glaring problem with it. What did you guys think? Well, should I start? You you can. I feel like you have a lot to say. Okay. Well, I I I agree with you on the Alfred stuff as far as like was is it well done or was it earned? But I, I do think with the benefit of a little foresight of, about what we may or may not know, thanks to Uncle Rich, about the 5G plans, I think I think if they decided that they want to move past Alfred for however long as Batman's like partner and confidant to start moving some other stuff in, I think that's p- potentially something that has a long-term trajectory that could be could be very satisfying. You sure, know, sure. Um, I think every once in a while it's good to do those things. And I think that it's only. I think it would be I think it would be bad if like in a year or two Alfred's back, you know. I kind of am for these things happening long term in comics that. That become part of the character's history rather than something that they. You know, we don't need 80 years of Alfred being in these comics, right? We could have him as a we could have him have a jumping off point in the narrative and have him referred back to fondly for you know, flashbacks, storytelling devices, whatever. It's the Uncle Ben thing, you know? It's the Gwen Stacy thing. But we those, don't but those deaths felt far more earned and important than this did. Yes, absolutely. I'm just saying I think you should be able to do stuff like this. Well, yeah, I'm That's not all. Yeah. You I'm not saying you shouldn't okay. at all. Yeah. Right. Yes, well, but you're right. I, I agree with you. I, I I think that I I'm surprised by how well – so I mainlined like five or six issues of this to catch up. Um, and I do agree that like I think the Alfred death when it happens was handled very unceremoniously. But I do think that the later issues do a really good job of driving the death home. And I got to say, like, I think 
I, I like like this entire run. It's very overwritten. It's very, um, it's just very. It's it's just so extra. But I I actually was very satisfied by how well he tied it back around to that first issue and the beautiful death line, <laughs> and how you know there are the there are no good deaths, only good lives. And I I think that that line as like a tagline for this run and like specifically in relation to alfred's life and death is really meaningful and i actually really like it a lot um because like alfred lived a life you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and i think that that is really satisfying i um i'm gonna be honest i was surprised by how much i liked these last few issues even the ones that i I think it's because I read them in such quick succession. And I think that this run in general, which some I think have argued and we've maybe even mentioned before, will probably read much better in trade Mm -hmm. than it did in singles. Um, And also like, there, I don't know. I liked how small, the scale ended up becoming the stakes and everything. Yeah. 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 Like you have this huge monumental story about Gotham being under CE or, you know, being under control by, by uh, Bane, but like Bane gets taken out like three issues ago. And then it comes down to just like this locked room scenario where Bruce is in Bruce and the whole family are, are trapped with Thomas. And uh, well, I agree with you about the stakes. I feel like those issues were pretty insufferable at times. Ah, uh, see, I I didn't. Okay, so I guess like we haven't talked about Batman in a while, so maybe it won't hurt to like backtrack a little bit. Like, so the one before this was the we'll go in reverse order, like issue eighty four did. Um, <laughs> we we have the one the Thomas Wayne origin thing, which like garbage. was nothing. You know, it was nothing. But but I guess like if you haven't read Flashpoint, I don't know whatever um the issue before that was the one i believe where um he was like walled in and that recording from alfred was playing Mm -hmm. and while i think there was just like way it went on way too long and there was way too much dialogue i really enjoyed that issue a lot i think that it was one of those cases where like King does this all the time and has done this in his run where he will have something unrelated to the story play like the text on page is someone narrating something unrelated to what's going on in the book. He does this all the time and I yes. think we've complained about it before. Mm-hmm. But I think this was maybe one of the best cases of that. Um and I think was one of like very instrumental in like selling me on the whole Alfred death. So I liked that issue. Um, I hated that issue. Well, okay. If I if I had read it that week and we had talked about it, we would have we would have been no, no, in contention. But I re- I read it the same way you read it. I I, I oh, read really? the last like four or five issues in one sitting, and I I hated every okay. one of them. This was the I, only issue of the uh, bunch that's that I did not. I, I vehemently dislike. I I liked that one, and I'm trying to think where the ones that was 83, and so 80, 81, was 82 a 
JRJR one. I know eighty and eighty one were. I can't what was eighty two? I can't even remember. I don't know. No. We should have talked about this book every two weeks. I'm, we I'm really convinced probably we should have. have. Yeah, I think we should have too. Um, yeah, that JRJR. To be fair, really you're the one like who stopped us off. doing that. What? You had said that you didn't. You wanted to stop talking about this book because it was just making you mad every week. <laughs> that is a thing we literally had a conversation about, and you said. We have to stop talking about Batman. I don't want to be so negative every week about this book. Uh, that that is true. Okay, I'll give you that. But then, but then, I believe I've tried to sneak it in from week to week at times. And you said, "Ah, uh, we're going to talk about Batman when eighty-five comes up. We're not, let's not talk about it for a while." Sure, but oh, look we're, at we're us airing all our dirty laundry here. We're both guilty. I'm no, maybe, and I'm guilty just so. because I purposefully did not read it. Which is, crazy, which is crazy because wasn't weren't you the one that said it's the first thing you read every week because no no you're the you one said who that. said that yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking Tyler Durden situation you always say that Vince <laughs> I thought that was a Zach thing too I think maybe at one time it was that but then I really cut down on how many books I read each week and so yeah clearly um, okay um, um, but no I yeah I didn't love this. But I did, I did like it. Um, I, I'm really weirdly tempted to go back and read the whole thing again. Ah, okay, uh, hang on. Let's hold don't. the phone right there. To quote Marvin Gaye, don't you break my heart. Don't do it. Please don't do it. Daddy, do it. Please don't do it. Here's the thing, Zach. That stuff that you said about the first issue and about the line about uh, you know, good deaths and good life, lives and all that stuff and how it relates to Alfred. I agree so wholeheartedly. I think that was a really well-driven home point. I think this final issue is good. I'm willing to say it's good. I didn't like I didn't like very many of the issues that came before it, but here's the thing about it. If that is the aim of if that's the ultimate goal, that and the Catwoman stuff are like the ultimate goals of uh, Tom King's run. What a waste for this thing to have been 85 issues. You know, oh, for like, sure. I, I for cannot sure. forgive it for doing that. You know, like if you lined up all the times I said, I liked an issue of Tom King's Batman, I bet you'd get about 15 to 20. Right. And I feel like there was a way to do this. And I'm, I'm no, I'm no ex CIA writer extraordinaire, <laughs> you know, but I feel like there was a way to do this without it taking three years, without it taking 85 issues, three fourths of which was no good <laughs> in my, in my mind. I know this is all, this is all subjective, but like is the thing that makes it seem so epic and earned to some people out there, merely the fact that it took three years to get here, regardless well, of what happened in between, so because I there's so much of this that doesn't, need to factor in at all and doesn't add the war of jokes and riddles does not add anything to the thematics of this all you know that's what i was going to say vince is i I feel like there's a big difference between like i I don't think that any of us are asking for there to be comics that have no places to breathe in Mm -hmm. them like i think no i want more of that but right but i think that tom king's books like for I would say, and this is not an exaggeration, but it's gonna sound like it. One fifth to one quarter of this book were useless issues that just recapped things we'd seen before, 
or took such a small thing and blew it up into 20 pages that there's no real benefit to having read it. Like a good chunk of this series is is not bad, just totally unnecessary. It's all like tone piece stuff, you know. It's just like, but, but it's but it's but a lot of it is tone piece stuff we've already seen but, before. Right, right. It's like maintaining a tone sure. or like a a variation on a theme, but yes. like not serving any real need for the book or the story i should right. say so, so yeah if, if a quarter of the book is that and then a quarter of the book is just shit and then a quarter of the book is good and a quarter of the book is okay i mean i mean to, that sounds about right to me i think mm-hmm. sure you know and what's so frustrating is that like look there are lots of comics that we read every week that we don't love or that other people think are really good but this book was treated like it was the gospel for a while and I just I never got that, and I still don't really get that. Um, but I guess I guess that's okay. Yeah. And this final issue is not without like some of Tom King's like typically annoying. Well, like first of all, b- biggest glaring thing, and I read this a couple times to try to figure out why this was being done. There's no reason for the story to be told as like four or five intersecting vertical slices zero reason there's no there's no reason to see like part of the thomas confrontation in in the in the study and then skip to them in the interrogation room with him in the uh straight jacket and then to go back there's there's no reason for any of that to be happening that feels like like if that was if it was all presented chronologically so that towards the end after everything was over, you saw Bruce and Selena at Alfred's grave. That is so much of a better coda than slotting that in the middle for absolutely no reason. Yes. And that is so emblematic of some of these issues where Tom King was writing narrative tricks like that. And I guess people thought it was good because it was different, but it really doesn't serve the story as a reader i'm thinking no i want this as one chunk and then i want the coda to be the the falling action you know i want it to be the the the, the big exhale at the end yep it do, it does nothing to go up and down like a like a sine curve you know um and so there was that you know but i but i but you brought up how I said that I really like where everything is left. And so just quickly, I'm going to summarize that the bat and the cat are together by the end of this, um, unofficially married, right? They, he slips the ring on, but they, they skipped out on judge Marv Wolfman. Um, and cause so they had to bone cause they had to bone down. Um, so, but I like that because, because to me that, that, sells them both as these like independent weirdos that are just always going to be together in one way or another. But, you know, it doesn't make it seem like Selena relies on Bruce or vice versa, you know, like it's, it's, it's true love, but it's non-traditional. And I like, I like the way that's presented. I like the way that that's left. I've always liked that relationship. I'm just kind of a mark for that. So, 
I'm happy with where that is. My my but, one note on that, just before you go too far off that, yeah, yeah. is that that seems to me like just uh, King being a stooge for Didio's like, uh, our characters are in love, but they're not actually married because no one likes married characters. Stop. Yeah, like, which, which is nuts. That that drives me nuts, yeah. I, I feel like that, that is essentially what we're getting here. It, it gives them an out to just completely forget exactly. if they want to. Yep. Yeah, yep, you're right. You're right. Um, without having to have them divorced or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> without having them enrolled. <laughs> Although Tom King will write the uh, 12 issue Eisner Bait maxi series about Bat and Cat's divorce. The annulment sure. of Bat and Cat. <laughs> um, um, you, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead, Zach. Well, I was going to ask, like, talking about, like, King's lasting marks on Batman, you know, the no CTE, unfortunately. <laughs> Damn it. Um, really upset about that but like i mean he did kill alfred and he uh, has batman and catwoman married do you do you think one of those things is the thing that he meant or do you think he meant both or do you think he it's actually neither of those things and there was something else that didn't happen i think he means alfred (laughs) you think he means alfred i think he means alfred yeah because that doesn't seem like the biggest thing. Well, okay. Honestly. So what issue was it? Shit. Somebody sent me a message the other day from Multiversity and was showing a, an issue of, I guess it was the tech issue we read last week, where Lucius is in the Batcave. Mm-hmm. And if you look in one of the panels, you can clearly see it was Alfred. Right. And so um, I feel like maybe the Alfred thing kind of came a little bit later in the game that wasn't as as far planned out as maybe we thought it was or uh, it could also be that this that that was a uh a shelf maybe, a shelf a, a, a yeah a shelf story yeah. a drawer book story that got repurposed yeah um but no i think even at one point wasn't didn't king say in an interview that he did not plan on killing alfred but then he did something like that yeah i don't know maybe i maybe i'm making that up i'm uh I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, the whole thing feels very, you know, ramshackle, very like fly by the seat of Batman's trousers. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I do want to talk about the backup. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, unless Vince, do you have anything else to say about the main issue? Uh, I was just going to mention that against all odds, I like Take where they look left at me now. God. Damn you! Um, I against all odds, I like where they left Gotham Girl as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Her, her appearance in this issue was not an annoyance. Her dialogue wasn't like insanely over the top as it had been when she was uh, flying around with Thomas. And um, I thought it was a really sweet moment between her and Bruce. I thought that was really. That really showed some growth in his character that I really enjoyed. Um, so that was a nice bit, too. Like, to- totally a character that King did everything to get me to not care about. And I ended up just really liking where that went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one thing I'll say about that uh, that you haven't said already is that I know there's a, a, a maxim that is held by guys like Hickman, which is that you should leave things kind of the way you found them you know that you can do as much weird stuff as you want 
during your run, but you should sort of put the pieces back for everybody else. And while Gotham Girl was not around before King's Run started, I do think it's good that if other char- if other writers want to pick up that story, it's it's in it's in a healthy place to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about that backup. Zach, you you brought this up. Yeah, yeah. So we get the first little bit of James Tynion's uh, Batman beginning here, um, illustrated by Guillaume March. Um, and it's just a little three-page epilogue with some Joker henchmen talking about how uh, the events of uh, Superman number 18, where, you know, Superman reveals that he is Clark Kent and kind of the ramifications with the Joker knowing Batman's identity, which is a holdover from Snyder's Batman run. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is, I think this is good. <laughs> um, and I think this is like, this is how 5g happens. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Very clearly. This is the, and the, the mere fact that he ends it, by saying the end is coming in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that is so much more than just what he's talking about with his own run, but it's it's good it's going to be like every major run, right? This is this is the first true taste of us careening towards the next relaunch. Yes. And we already we already know, thanks to Uncle Rich, who I, I think we can trust on this one, that you know, Batman is the first shoe to drop, as far as like what we know about what's coming next. And I think there have been enough hints within the comics. Now we just mentioned the Lucius Fox stuff, we mentioned the Luke Fox stuff, uh, potentially during our Doomsday Clock discussion. So clearly, that's going to be the first indicator of what's next. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to st- Oh, keep going. Keep going. I, I was sorry. gonna say I think that the tiny backup is is a lot of fun, even if I'm groaning in another Batman Joker story. <laughs> uh, I just think that you know, I'm interested to see what Tynion does in this circumstance. Yeah. Well, it's a very traditional looking Joker, first of all, which is which is a relief, you know. He's got kind of the classic wild Joker hair, you know. Which of the three this is, I I don't know, but <laughs> it's the Chris Pine Joker. Look at him, looks like Chris Pine. Oh, that's who it is! Oh my God, I I was looking at that and I'm like, who the fuck is that? I know it's somebody, and you just nailed it. That's absolutely who that is. Wow. Um, and I really gotta praise Gia March's March's art overall on this thing. I love the the perspective that he uses here, where he's. He's close up on this teddy bear that they're filling with, <laughs> with like razor wire. <laughs> yep. And I love how it pans out to these like two goons playing with their phone. And then the Joker like slowly creeps up behind them, talking to them. And then in each panel, more and more of the Joker himself is kind of revealed until the very end. That's just such great teaser comic book art, right? Mm-hmm. Man, March is good. I, I'd like to see him on more stuff. Yeah, his style is a little over the top for me at times, but for something like this, it's a good fit. Yeah. All right, he well, does a good Joker. Yes, he does. Yeah. He, steam, he steams oh. a good ham. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
May I see it? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, that brings us to Batman Last Night on Earth number three, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Greg Capullo. Zach, you love this comic, right? <laughs> is this Scott Snyder just once again confirming that Batman is bad? <laughs> kind of? I thought this book was really weird. I thought the the messaging here was very muddled. Um, I don't know what I'm supposed to think about this or what I'm supposed to take from this. Because um, uh, Bruce Wayne is bad. The, and Joker, the real Bruce, and Joker is good. The fake Bruce Wayne is better than the real Bruce Wayne. Yeah. But they're that. also the same person. And so won't good new Bruce Wayne eventually turn into old bad Bruce Wayne? Yes, but he'll also make another clone that will be good for a while. And so that so, will... so basically Bruce is destined to turn into an an old angry boomer and he <laughs> has to be constantly making a, a new a new zoomer version of himself to to beat him up and tell him he's bad. I think you nailed it. And so by that token, you should really like this because it confirms your Batman is bad opinion. I you're right. If that's what I'm supposed to take from it, then I then I guess this comic is good. <laughs> um, but boy, it, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, ah, there's there's stuff that's good about it, but it's so frustrating. Yes, yes. To me, this was supposed. I mean, not to me. Like Snyder and Capullo said, this is our last Batman story. This is the end of our Batman's story, and. It wasn't a satisfying ending. It wasn't a very good Batman story. I don't feel like, you know, you can do an Elseworlds futuristic whatever story and still have it thematically fit in with the with the run that you were doing that was set in the here and now. But this feels like it's on a different totally a totally different planet than the than their other work. I see no correlation here. Yeah. Yeah, me. It's it's just I really like don't even know what to say. It's I didn't think it was all that interesting of a story. Yeah, for an for an issue where um the new quote unquote dark side is essentially revealed to be Bruce Wayne. Yes. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was not monumental and, and I don't know the, the, the Joker's role in it all was really the most baffling part to me. I didn't get that other than that. That is the part I think that has the most thematic overlap with the Snyder and Capullo run originally because Snyder more than more than a lot of writers played with this idea that like Batman and the Joker coexist for a reason, you know? Yes. And so this story was really it really ended up being about the Joker kind of pushing Batman to prevail so that they could keep that going. And, you know and, what I mean? And, and I'm more okay with that than any other part of the story. Yes, absolutely. Yep, that that part was the part that made sense to me. The the Batman becoming Omega thing, unless I'm really missing something, like thematically that doesn't that that part doesn't work for me. 
Uh, I must mention the very end of this issue <laughs> being, being really strange that it's happening uh, the same week as Doomsday Cock, Clock. Uh, Doomsday Cock. D- Doomsday Cock. <laughs> Doomsday Cock. Oh, where's my mind? Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> because isn't that just that's just like another uh, instance of Superman's rocket falling to Earth. Yep. That could be that could be one of the many versions that Johns is writing in that issue. Yeah, is this like in relation to that like Superman clone factory that was in the second issue? Is that what this is about? Or I'm certain. I'm certain it was. Okay. I'm certain it it actually has nothing to do with Doomsday Clock. Well, no, I I'm not no, I I didn't think that you were indicating that. I do oh. think that the coincidence is really interesting, but I was even kind of confused like in story like what this is in relation to. Um yeah. Well, let's let's get off this story because we have lots of other stuff to talk about. Uh stuff I think we're going to be more excited to talk about. Like for instance, The Lolo Woods number 1, written by Carmen Maria Machado. And illustrated by Danny. Vince, you love this issue. I loved this issue. Yes. Talk about it. Oh, man. I just... Part, part of me, and we've talked about this on the show, uh, when Vertigo shuttered its proverbial doors, um, part of me was just worried about what that would mean for the types of comics that, that DC would publish, you know, under any imprint. Does, does that mean that they're going to shy away from Vertigo-style stories entirely? I think the answer with um, with the Black Label stuff, and specifically the the Hill House stuff, is is that no, they this could be this could be a Vertigo imprint title, right? So so any worry that anyone had that they weren't going to do comics like this anymore, um, I think these have been great examples of comics that would have fit under that banner as well. As far as the comic itself, I loved the way that this comic told its story. And I'm going to see if I can articulate this in a way that makes sense, but it's late and I'm a dumbass, so I don't know if I'm going to have like the right words to, to, to talk about this, but, but there, there's a, there's a phenomenon in, creator own comics that try to be weirder than or like unconventional uh, styles of storytelling where there's a lot of like mysticism um, or like impressionistic style storytelling where, where what you see on the page is not literally happening or chronologically happening. It's more of a, it's more mystic than that, you know? Mm-hmm. But they err on the side of of overdoing that and then not actually telling a story that you can follow. You know what I mean? I can't think of any specific examples, and I don't want to cast any aspersions on a specific creator or comic that I that I'm thinking of or that I could name. But like, I, I feel like sometimes in, in storytelling, comic book storytelling, there are comics that become weird for the sake of being weird, and they are hard to follow because as great a medium as comics are if you're not also telling a story with that, it doesn't always come across on, in the, on the page, in the text. Sure. Um, are you, are you just goofing on Cy Spurrier again? I, Zach, I wasn't going to mention any names. Um, 
No, but that's sort of what I'm, you know, I'm thinking of even more obscure. I'm thinking like more obscure indie comics. Yeah. Than yeah. That, you know, right. Um, whereas this, this does a lot of that. There's, there's some dreamlike elements. There's some visions. There's some supernatural stuff. Um, that I'm pretty sure is real, like in the universe of the story, they're seeing these things, but there's elements in the story that, you know, are they seeing things clearly? Are they seeing things exactly as they are? What time and place, you know, are they in, like, are they actually here in this moment in time? But that's like a fourth of the issue. And the rest is a a straightforward story about, these girls that are growing up in this uh, like uh, Pennsylvania town that's that's yeah exactly that's on fire essentially you know it's 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 basically this town that is perpetually on fire and that's a very interesting setting and that's a very uh, unique setting for a comic book story and every page is full of information about the town or about these characters that is doled out in such a way, a lot of it's done through dialogue. There's very, I think, maybe someone would disagree with me, but I think there's very little exposition. There's one section where it very matter-of-factly talks about the history of the town. It's it's maybe three pages or something. That is a lot of exposition. But think about how much character work is done just in the dialogue between characters, how much about their history or about their place in the town or how old they are, or what their future holds, is done through dialogue. That's very naturalistic, by the way. Like I feel like these characters talk the way that real uh, human beings talk, which I think is another... When you're talking about impressionistic comics, I feel like there's also stylistic things that's done with the dialogue that ends up making it making characters into like aliens, or, or, or they don't you know, talk to one another the way that human beings talk. I feel like here you get such a nice balance of both. You get realistic characters talking to one another the way that people actually talk, a very straightforward story, and then it's got just enough of these, like, mysterious, mystic, Twin Peaks. That is such an overdone reference, but, like, Twin Peaks-style weirdness that it just, it, it worked so, this is, like, almost a 10 out of 10 for me. Wow. The way that this, the way that this stew all came together. I mean, I like the issue. I don't have too much more to say than what you said. I think a ten out of ten is a little strong, but good for you, man. I just mean like, I, I was just so impressed with the the way that it didn't feel forced at all to me. So many times, I read so many creator owned stories that tell stories that are adjacent to this style. And they're either too obscure for their own good or they are forcing the issue in the other direction. And I, I thought this just met in the middle in a way that was just perfect. I I think that this is my favorite of the three um the three Hill House books so far. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with anything that you said. I, I don't know if I would give it a, if I would put it at a 10, but I, well, I did like it a lot. OK, this is why we don't do scores on the show, because yeah. I'm just trying to get a feeling across about like. Sure, sure. How Events? well done I think it is. Events? Yeah. 
Can I what? borrow a feeling? God damn it. <laughs> Brother, can you spare two dimes? Brother from another series. We do this all the time. Uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, it, our bullshit. Yep. It was very good. It was very good. And I think that overall, the Hill House books have been a pretty good quality. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. Well, let's let's move along to Suicide Squad number one. Um, first of all, I, I, a bunch of people said to me in New York Comic Con this year how they really want dialogue covers to come back or people talking on the cover of a book. And uh, I feel like that never went away, really. It's it, it certainly it's gone down in its usage, um, but this is a good example of that. Uh, this is uh, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Bruno Redondo. And I'm going to say it, this is the best Suicide Squad number one since Ostrander's Suicide Squad. Not a high bar. No, (laughs) but, you know, I really enjoyed this issue. I, I wish that instead of the book being what it is, we could have followed that initial team of the, uh, what they're calling terrorists, what we'll call freedom fighters. Uh, I almost just want that team to have their own book. And yes, we're getting a bunch of them into the Suicide Squad now, which is great. But uh, I could do without, you know, the Harley Quinns, your dead shots, etc. But overall, I thought this book was super fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Bruno Redondo just keeps getting better and better. I feel like every time we talk about his books, we talk about how just how solid he is, and this was no exception. And Love the new characters. R.I.P. Magpie. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I mean, you had that high profile rise in, in uh, Batman, Tom King's Batman, but then <laughs> Tom Taylor just does her dirty. Uh, also, I was sad that that, that character Cavalier wasn't the uh, the Batman of... Uh, was it Argentina? Yeah, the Argentinian and Batman, yeah. which I guess that makes a little bit more sense. But um, yeah, man, Tom Taylor's so good, uh, <laughs> um, and I do really like this new team. Uh, they are very cool, um, and like, you know, this is like common trope of like introducing a bunch of new characters just to like kill them off. But I really like felt like some of those deaths were really like meaningful and tragic mm-hmm. and sad like especially like the the twin brother um and, and uh the um i think doesn't the the, the explosive bird, guy the explosive guy yeah does the bird character the bird character does live i don't yeah. know why i'm calling them the bird character but um, the, the airy airy RV yeah bird man yeah um <laughs> Yeah, just get shot are, through the wings. That's yeah, nice. that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah, these characters are really cool. This new uh, Waller replacement guy is such a dick. Um, love to hate him. Um, uh, yeah, I'm excited about this series. I think it's good. Yeah, I, I think what Tom Taylor does here is is extremely smart in getting you know apologies to anybody who is a Cavalier fan. Um, both the basketball team and the character um, in DC Comics. But uh, I think it's really smart to present this Suicide Squad team where there's a couple of 
you know, red shirts that you essentially know are going to get killed. And then a big enough cast of these new characters um, so that you can kill a couple of them as per the Suicide Squad credo, um, but not piss people off. Because, like, imagine if you killed too many of these characters in the first issue. Like, there's a lot of people that are excited about them already. And I know that giving fans what they want is not always or even most of the time, a, a good idea. No, <laughs> but, see, my, see my pin tweet. Yeah. See Zach's um, pin tweet on farmers <laughs> only. And, um, um, uh, but, but what I'm saying is like, you also don't want to come up with a bunch of great ideas for new IP, uh, and characters that you've probably become attached to maybe in the creation too, and then just waste them all for something cheap, you know? So, so what I'm saying is the, the the approach Tom Taylor is taking is very smart because, Zach, you pointed out, he introduces these twin uh, sort of Atlantean yeah. characters, um, Scale and Finn, and then kills one of them. So smart because then you keep you keep one around, and then that's that character's trauma going forward, you know. So, yeah. in effect, in a, in storytelling effect, one of them is disposable because they're twins. But now you've got meaningful death. You've got meaningful storytelling fodder going forward. By choosing to kill the explosives guy, also by the end of the issue, like that's they clearly spent this issue building that character up a little bit, giving him a prominent role. To make that one sting, but then it, that's only one, you know, and that, and now that's the rest of the team who's attached to this guy, maybe that's their trauma too. And so you don't want to overuse that, but I feel like the amount of that that Tom Taylor uses across this issue is a very smart amount. It, it, it does what a Suicide Squad book is supposed to do without feeling like a huge waste. Also, he was very smart. Because he kept Zebra Man. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then just one other thing I really wanted to point out was I, I love, love, love that there's maybe hints being dropped about the overall arc. And I don't know how long this is going to last, how, how long Tom Taylor will be on this book or what his vision for this is. But I love how the one character tells the like nondescript asshole Waller replacement that he says something like someday I'm going to kill you for that. I can just picture in issue 24 that asshole getting his comeuppance and like how satisfying that narrative circle is going to be. (laughs) (laughs) I can see it already. And that's such, that's such effective writing because that guy is an unlikable asshole, but I want to see him on the page because he's so well-written in that way. Yes, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and I think it's very effective to kind of move Waller out of this role, just because, like, I think the Amanda Waller relationship with Suicide Squad has kind of maybe really run its course. There's only so many times that you can tell that story, and Mm -hmm. it has been told a lot. Um. So yeah, no, I uh, man. I knew I was going to like this. I 
think I liked it more than I expected to even. Um, even. Even. Even, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. Give give Tom Taylor the whole Every, the keys of the kingdom. Everything. Next next Jeff Johns, if you ask me. Oh, he could be. <laughs> what um, would his doomsday clock be then? Just the, 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 the injustice characters bumping up against uh, the comedian or something. Comedian in the injustice world. Uh, why so serious? Yeah. Um, I, I like the fact that this team is getting integrated into the Suicide Squad that we know with Harley and Deadshot because that's the only way that you take these characters who are doing ultimately altruistic things and give them some sort of conflict that's really going to butt up against their, it's going to be a conflict of interest for them. And I think that's such a rarity, you know, that is a, that is a great twist on this idea that the suicide squad is about these characters who are pretty much across the board villains at DC Harley's become muddled in, in recent years, but you know, the, the pitch for suicide squad was that it's about villains. So a great twist on that is taking these like rogue altruistic quote unquote terrorists who are like fighting against fascism in some ways. And conscripting them into something that would be against their moral vision of the world. Right. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's really fascinating to me. That's so smart. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I'm very excited to see where this book goes. All right. Well, let's talk about wonder woman, dead earth. Number one written and illustrated by Daniel Warren Johnson, the great Daniel Warren Johnson. Um, I heard that this book was also called uh, Batman Last Night on Earth Done Right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't. I didn't mean to. I didn't want to throw that shade. I just wanted to make that joke. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. Part of the reason this works so well, I, I would say, eighty percent of the reason this works so well is because Johnson is a badass motherfucker with a pencil. Oh yeah. Not that Capullo's not. No, um, Johnson's at a different level. Yeah, it it's very pretty. Um, but I did, I mean, I did think it was really funny how like similar, how much similar ground was tread <laughs> between these two series. Um, but yeah, somebody somebody no, talk, talk about why this is good. You, you, you go off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is really good. Um, <laughs> uh, it is essentially, I mean, like I said, the exact same concept. We have this kind of opening that's sort of like a little Diana origin, um, but then uh, the story really kicks off. Well, there's like a, an implied, not implied. We actually see a like nuclear holocaust essentially here, and then we begin again in this kind of wild uh, post-apocalyptic society. There are these weird um, uh, like annihilation monsters running around and uh, then Diana, you know, Breath of the Wild style comes out of this stasis pod and 
and beats up this monster and man it's it's so good it looks so good and and she wakes up in the bat cave or they're they're in the bat cave that was a great reveal yeah yeah it pans yeah. out and you realize it and you're and you're like 20 pages in at that point or 15 right. Right, right. And so she goes upstairs into the manor and finds just dead Batman corpse on the couch. <laughs> um, great image. Great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then, yeah, the issue goes on. It kind of gets into, like, um, they... they she, she kind of gets betrayed by this, this group that she... Uh, was was kind of rescued by slash she rescued them um, and uh, there is this kind of tyrannical overlord who's running this this uh, you know this whole society that's based on you know kind of fear and um, he has this gladiator's pit where we find this horribly mutated version of of cheetah which is I want somebody to talk about that here in a little bit. Um, but then, uh, you know, just a- as always, Diana is a is a boss and saves the day, and everyone loves her, and she's so good, and she she's the best that we have. Yeah, I loved how this issue really doubled down on her forgiveness and compassion. Mm-hmm. Th- those are the best qualities of Diana in the comics, but oftentimes those get ignored, and it was yes. nice to see them not ignored. I wish I had more to say than that. Um, but no, this issue was absolutely gorgeous. Johnson does, like, he implies action in his illustrations better than almost anybody else I know. Mm-hmm. It looks like everyone's moving all the time in his comics. Uh, this is just this is just super fun. This is going to be as inconsequential as, as any other faux Elseworld story. But with art like this, I'll keep buying it every week. Right. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you're like week to week, month to month, mainline DC and Marvel comics look like this more often. Oh, I just wish I wish we lived in that world. I understand why we don't. But Diana putting on uh, Batman's utility belt just in case was a great image. Yes. Yeah. And possibly Um, Superman's cape. Uh, it did seem that way. Yeah, you, you don't tell them that. You're right, Vince. Thank yeah. you for warning our listeners about that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that cheetah design is horrifying and imposing and disgusting. The teeth, the like fangs lining up the right side of her face, mm-hmm. horrifying. Yeah, and also the cheetah head for a hand is cheetah like head for an arm. it's like. Like she's a dang Power Ranger. Or some, yeah, yeah, ooh, yeah, good call. Um, it's good. Very good. I did not expect to be as interested in this as I as I ended up being. Um, very, very good. Johnson's the best. Yeah. And that brings us to our final book of the week, uh, which is Year of the Villain, Hell Arisen, number one. Um, I don't know about you guys. I, I just think that the biggest problem with the Batman who laughs is we just don't see him enough. 
I mean, against all odds, he still Take was look at the, me now. the mm. best villain of the year. So yes. he was, yeah. He was. Well, you know, Brian, he is the main character of this story. You just don't want to admit it. That's true. He he says that at one point. That's yeah. why. Oh, you don't want to believe it. That's what he says. Sorry. He he is Guys, basically the main character from Your Sylvain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, guys, I kind of liked this far more than I've liked a any time I've ever had to see the Batman Who Laughs in like the last eight months, I want to say. Before you get to that, let's just say it's written by James Tynion IV, illustrated by Steve Epting. Go ahead. Well, first of all, like this is what a, a good James Tynion script looks like, I think. Mm, yeah. You know, I. Yeah, there there's limited amount of uh, of of like secret society building. <laughs> I mean, it's and... any if there is any of it, it's necessary. Right. And this is him using exposition in an entirely necessary way. Although I will say that the Batman who laughs in the beginning of the book speaks an awful lot. I I don't know. Just, just like just look at pages like you know. Uh, Seven and eight, and look at how much dialogue he has on the page. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. The Earth Three stuff was very good. Yes, very good. Uh, forever and, evil callback. <laughs> yep, forever evil callback. Uh, this is also you know it's a crisis because a flash bites the dust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's how yeah. you know. Flesh, no, this... flesh has got to bite it. Although it does, it does also say like, it doesn't Lex say like, didn't I kill some of those guys already? And they're yeah. like, yeah, the multiverse fixes itself. Don't worry about it. Go to sleep. Which, Perfect. which yeah, is is very in line with all of this. Everything. <laughs> um, yeah. It's in line with everything. He may as well just say, I'm just gonna call all of you guys landfill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh... Um. Um. What was okay? So this was this was the issue that we were kind of alluding to with the Time Masters. The Time Masters. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a thing that happens here, um, where the Batman who laughs goes to some facility in Arizona, um, and he. I believe has... it's Sheriff Joe's uh, concentration camp. Okay. I thought okay. it was a condo made of stona. <laughs> Zach is going to be very upset if you bring keep up going. King Tut. So. <laughs> keep going, Zach. That, that was my one <laughs> reference. That was my one. I'll let it go. Oh well, I we we just get him. You know, he he's he's goofing on on Rip Hunter. You know, yeah, and 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 Time Master, Rip Hunter, Time Master. Uh, it's going to happen. I could have won a Grammy. What does this mean? I don't know, but okay. I like it, whatever it is. Yes. And 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 to be clear, this is a clear reference to the same thing that happened in that page of Doomsday Clock. Right? It's gotta be. There's no getting around that because he when he says hypertime is broken, that's how could it not be? Yeah. That's that's what Johns is talking about too. So I think 
you know, I don't know how much more we need to talk about this particular issue. Epting's art looked really great. It did look really good. I was kind of afraid it wouldn't really fit with this kind of book, um, but it is actually very good. It is. It's very eventy. He's got some Kirby dots that he throws in there. Mm-hmm. It's 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 he surprisingly fits well in a crisis like environment, like a DC yeah. crisis. Um, but you know, we need to talk about how this how this is going to line up going forward because. We know that this. We know that this is essentially the next crisis. We've, we've pretty much got that figured out. Doomsday Clock Twelve, all but guarantees that that that's the case. We also know that it ties into five G in some way because when it's all over, the five G Earth is born out of this. My question is, how does that? Because I don't have an answer to this, but maybe you guys have been thinking about it, or or maybe we can kick it around. How does that tie into Superman's identity reveal and Batman's potential identity reveal? How is that the kind of fulcrum point for this whole thing? Well, so I just think I I don't know how this ties into that. I feel like, okay, there's two options, I think. Um, and I almost feel like I need to go back to look at doomsday clock here so there's two things one if everyone's identities are being revealed that like and i feel like leviathan is moving towards that as well i feel like we could just get like a mass revelation of everybody's identities that would be like a huge status quo change that would also that would also explain why say like dick grayson is not batman because like he's a big deal and his identity will probably get revealed Mm. um so i think there's that that aspect of it but then um in doomsday clock um trying to find the page i'm trying to remember it says something like uh, okay here we go and let's see a crisis unlike any the metaverse has seen one they will call time masters erupts but in its wake superman is revitalized i wonder if like 5g is okay i'm i'm putting i'm doing this again yes. once again i'm saying that i think that the timeline thing is going to be legit and like it is going to be like a full like 75 year 80 year whatever timeline what if hyper time is broke superman get old <laughs> <laughs> yeah superman get aarp yeah yeah what if what if like everything goes on a like full-on like like a, a a real time scale and everybody gets old so basically superman is going to be steve rogers when he led the secret avengers yeah yeah and same like bruce bruce will be old bruce will be batman from batman beyond Oh, um, that's so good. <laughs> and like that also allows for 5G to happen. And then Time Masters happens, time gets fixed, everything goes back to normal. Ooh. That's Ooh, good, I, Zach. I really like that. What if? And so the identity thing makes sense because you're take you're eventually taking all these characters off the table mm-hmm. as they're 
Oh, man. Ooh, I like it. See, that's why I wanted to kick this around because we've been essentially, we've been told that all these storylines kind of come together in some way to make the next thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of how that's going to happen. And I like that. And I like, you know, nothing in comics, at least in, in like superhero comics is ever a coincidence. So the fact that the sign behind Rip Hunter says the end of time is now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's very, that's very Watchmen. That's and and also very. Uh, Tynion's very... backup. Yeah. Tynion's Batman yes, backup. Yes. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And this is written by Tynion, and so is that. And I just feel like, oh yeah, I love stuff like this. This is this is why I read dumbass superhero comic this is it right here stuff like this yes absolutely i can agree with all that yeah if if we are even like somewhat close about any of this stuff i think that it will be very interesting um i i yeah i'm excited to see what what happens with this well this is normally the part of the show where we talk about what comes out next week. But DC has no books next week. Not even a secret one? Not even a secret one. Sorry, Uncle Rich. I I still think that there's a long con. I think there's going to be one. Ooh. I think it could be the timeline, and I think it could be digital only. Yeah. Sure. But I also, but I also don't... Now I don't think we're ready for the timeline. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I, sure. Actually, at the time of recording, Doomsday Clock is not even out yet. So That's true. You know, the day after Doomsday Clock comes out, DC could show up and be like, hey, here's the next year of comics for you to think about. You know, they could they could drop some teaser. Who knows? Yeah. They won't, but maybe they'll do one of those like art images and it'll be like a Christmas thing and it'll like ghost ghost of Christmas past, present and future. Oh, Zach, you're so so good. Emergency emergency episode of the DC three. Yeah. Real quick. uh, Your ghost of Christmas past is one character from the JSA. Who is it? Um, I think it's got to, I, my initial inclination would be to say Alan Scott, but I think it's got to be Jake Garrick. Your ghost of Christmas future is one Legion member. Who is it? Um, oh man, I'm very partial to Starboy. Okay. Because I'm a motherfucking Starboy. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well played. Uh, and your ghost of Christmas present is a new age of here. Present is a new age of heroes character. Who is it? Oh, it has to be sideways for sure. No, oh, yeah. no question. He was a Superman. It's, it's Tempest. It's Tempest Fuggernaut. You nutcase. Come on. Tempest, Tempest Fuggernaut's best friend sideways. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, thanks for listening, folks. We appreciate it very much. We think we may be back with another episode before the end of the year. Maybe not. We don't know. We're taking a little bit of a break for the holidays. So thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, we have lots of fun stuff planned for 2020, so stick around for that. Uh, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. 
And I am at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is trying his best to locate uh, Rorschach 2 on this Earth so that he can have a, uh, what is it, a constant? What is it? A, uh, an anchor? Uh, an anchor. Uh, an anchor. Uh, constant uh, is lost. Constant is lost. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Vince is trying to find his anchor in Rorschach 2. Yep. He's trying to put his anchor. That's right. No. You got it. He's trying to dock. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that. So thanks for listening, folks. Again, happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Ever since they got rid of Hulk Hogan's pasta mania, it's been all downhill. <laughs>